0: All right, anyway, today we're going to talk about watch where you're going. Watch where you're going. And usually we say that in normal day language too late, after the fact. Somebody trips, you go, oh, hey, watch where you're going. (laughs) Hey, thanks, that was helpful. Or maybe you're walking in a crowd and you bump into somebody, and if they have the other team's jersey on or the other team's apparel on, you're like, hey, watch where you're going. If you're not that brave, at least you think it, right? Hey, you better watch it. Usually after the fact. Today we're going to talk about watch where you're going and starting a series not about uh, life today, but really about life for eternity. Watch where you're going in the life after this. And the question we're going to ask and try to answer this morning, is there really something after this? Is there something after this? So let's get one thing straight as we begin to talk about this, that none of us can talk about this subject from personal experience, right? None of us can say, hey, I've been there, or I went to the other side, and there's nothing there, that we're all kind of coming at this blind. Maybe you've heard people say, man, my life has been a living hell. Anybody ever heard that, said that, thought that? And... Uh, I think sometimes we say that flippantly, but also I think sometimes people say that because they genuinely think, "Man, my life has been so hard and difficult and unfair and unjust that whatever's coming next, it needs to be—it's going to be better than this, or at least it's not going to uh, be bad." My job today is to warn you—not after the fact, not after it's too late—but before it's too late, that you and I should watch where we're going. And I can't tell you from personal experience, none of us have that, but, but I can offer you an, an, an argument from God's Word, a compelling argument from Scripture, and even if you don't believe that it, this is God's revealed Word, that it appeals to human nature and logic in such a way that you may be able to believe this for yourself. Be convinced that there is a heaven and hell, there's a need for a heaven and hell, and that you know exactly where you're going. If you already have those things settled in your life, can I just challenge you that today can be an opportunity for you to learn how to talk to other people that don't have the same worldview that you have. They don't assume that there's a heaven and hell or like you do. And how do we help them see the reality to watch where they're going before it's too late? So we're going to look in God's word in Romans chapter two. We're going to be looking at several verses there. It'll be on the screen. If you have your Bible, you can check it out there. And it says this. Since you therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and you do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? You know what God's doing here? He's describing uh, something in us that we all have a moral compass built inside of us. All of us have a sense of right and wrong based on a conscience that we've been given. And even if you don't believe that this is the sense of right and wrong, even if we don't agree on what the right and wrong is, that we just instinctively know that something's right or wrong, we see that most often. And what this passage says is, we see that most clearly in our compulsion to judge other. People. You want evidence that you and I have a moral compass inside of us, that we have a tendency and even a compulsion to find faults in other people and make judgments about them, even if we never say it, that we would harbor those things in our hearts. We pass judgment. See, this passage says God passes judgment, but his judgments are always based on what is true and what is right and what is morally perfect, and you and I not so much. That you and I are people that make judgments based on what is convenient for us. Let's take lying, for instance. I mean, if, if we brought you on stage and said, put your hand on the Bible, you would probably say, Yeah, lying is wrong. But in reality, if I just sat and talked to you around a cup of coffee, you might say, Well, it depends if lying's right or wrong. I mean, it, it might depend on how severe the lie is. I mean, if we're just talking a little white lie. I mean, come on. It might depend on who's doing the lying because if it's you doing the lying, oh, you've got good reason for that, right? We want to save someone else's feeling. We want to get out of an uncomfortable conversation. Uh, We don't want to make ourselves look bad. We don't want to answer our wife's questions. That was a joke. (laughs) But if someone else is lying... If someone else is lying to you, it's morally wrong. It's an offense. It's a personal breach of trust. Can then we just be honest for a minute that we judge other people? Can I tell you that I judge people? The commentator said about this passage in Romans, he said this, People tend to criticize in others those negative traits of which they themselves are guilty. Hmm. Psychologists call this projection. Nothing blinds a person more than the certainty that others are guilty of moral faults. What he's saying is it's so easy to find the fault in others, and it's so easy to miss the moral faults in ourselves. I don't know if there's a better example in, in history than what happened with King David. Now, to be fair, King David was an amazingly godly man, and God used him for his purposes. But there was a season in his life where he really, really got off track. And he was married, and then he, he, he saw another woman who was married, and he says, I want to be married to her too. And so he had an arranged where her husband could be killed, and so that he could marry this woman, Bathsheba, in addition to his other wife. And, and he, uh, he thought nothing of it. He went about his life. So God sends Nathan a prophet. And he goes and he confronts David. But he was shrewd about it. And maybe God gave him this this wisdom to do it this way. He said, David, let me tell you a story. And so he tells a story about a man who is wealthy beyond all imagination and had more sheep than he knew what to do with. He had all kinds of wealth. And so a friend from out of town came to visit this man. And said, "Hey," he said, listen, I need to feed my guest. And so I need to slaughter one of my sheep in order to provide for a meal. And so he found a man who had one sheep, his prized sheep, his beloved sheep. Instead of killing one of his sheep to feed the man, he took the other man's one sheep to feed his guest. And King David was appalled. He said, how could a man do so? That man should die. And Nathan says, you are that man. King David, you've been blind to your own faults and sin and failures. You know what Jesus said in Matthew 7? He says, Very much the same thing we just read. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And then he goes on to describe this, this phenomenon where there's, uh, we long to pick out the specks of faults in other people's eyes while we, we retain a huge board in our own eye. We want to find out the little things in your life and in your life and your life that annoy me, that bug me, that aren't right, that isn't, shouldn't be there. And we want to criticize them and judge you for them. But the very instance we don't, we're blind to this huge area of fault and sin and rebellion in our own lives. You know what Jesus said? He said, You need to first take the plank out of your own eye. You need to do business with your own self. You need to look at yourself objectively in the mirror. You need to let the judgment of God weigh heavy on your heart before you ever go in judgment of someone else. He says, once you remove the plank, then you can see clearly, not to condemn the other person, but to remove the plank out of their eye, to restore them and to help them. Big difference. You know what all that tells us? The reason we find faults in other people is because we have this huge need for justice to occur, don't we? There's something inside of us that longs for justice to occur, but it's skewed. The the balances are weighed on one side where we we favor ourselves as opposed to others. Listen, I just want you to be clear. It'd be easy to think of someone else in this moment, or so and so needs to hear this message, or so and so really is super judgmental, but we we need to put ourselves into this narrative right here. What about me? What about my heart? See, we all do this. We all have planks. We all have blind spots that we don't even see the sin in our lives. And there's something inside of us that, you know, the cries of our day are equality, social justice. Those lives matter. These lives matter. We need to stand for freedom. We need to stand against tyrannical leadership. And regardless of what political side of the aisle you're on, you can definitely say, we are falling short of delivering justice in this world. No society, no nation is completely just. And no nation and no society led by mankind will ever deliver justice the way God intended it to be delivered. You say, I don't believe that. Why can't we, we can't have a just society? Why can't we set up a utopia on earth? Why, can't we, why do we need God in order for there to be justice? Because we fall woefully short of delivering it. You say, I don't, I don't believe that. I, I, I want to challenge you. I, I just heard of a news story last week. It, it, you'd have to tell this woman named Kayla Ashley that there's justice in this world. You know what happened to her? Her husband, 24 years old, was working as a night shift security guard at an auto dealership. And people came up to that dealership and shot him in cold blood. Killed him. Didn't even steal a car off the lot. How can we suppose, even if those people are apprehended and, and, and serve justice for what they've done wrong, how do you justify this woman no longer having her husband or her four-year-old growing up without her dad? I don't know where we can have justice in this world. And every person who's been attacked or abused or raped or mistreated by someone else and that person has gotten away with it, how can you say there's justice in this world? Every life that has been cut short, whether by choice or by accident or by tragedy, how can we say there's justice in this world? Listen, I could go on and on, but I think you get the point. We have a need for justice and we just can't deliver on it. Do you know what that tells me? Our need for justice necessitates a hereafter, because what this world fails to deliver on in justice, the next world will make good on. What this world fails to follow through, and we wonder why things are fair and why isn't there no justice and why do evil is evil prepare? We'll prev- so the guilty have yet to be punished like they deserve, and that's what the next life is about. They say, "Well, wait a minute." If God is so concerned for justice, if God is going to make things wrong, then why does God wait? Why doesn't he bring justice today? Why doesn't he act on justice now? It's a great question. I believe verse 4 that we just read answered, So I want to read that again. and listen to what he says. He says, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? You know what he's saying is God is waiting on purpose. God's kind, in kindness, he's longing to be patient. He's waiting in patience so that more people can turn instead of experiencing his wrath and his judgment, that more people can turn to him before it's too late, that they would be rescued from the condemnation that they deserve and the final judgment that is coming. That one day our need for justice will be met, one day. It's just not today. You ever had an itch so bad and you just couldn't reach it? I mean, it's right there. Maybe you're more limber than that, but I got a big spot I can't reach. <laughs> you, ever been, you ever had an itch like all day long and you've tried the, the, the jam on the door and it doesn't work? Like you can't quite get it. And you're like, man, I, and you, gotta, you get home and you first, the first person you see in the house, would you scratch my back? This is killing me. Anybody? That's not just me, right? Have you ever had a cast on? I I broke my leg twice as a kid. And you you had an itch right there. And there's a cast there and you can't. That drives you insane. And they told you not to do it, but you're sticking pencils down there. And anything you do, you got to scratch that itch because it's driving you crazy. Can I tell you something? There's a God in heaven that longs to scratch the itch of justice and it bothers him that the guilty go unpunished and it bothers him that the sins that have harming the people he loved have yet to have been dealt with but yet in his mercy and his kindness he bears with an itch that is driving him insane because his kindness, he longs for people to turn to him and and, find. and he put that need for justice in each one of us. See, in Genesis 1, it says we were made, every single one of us made in the image of God. You want to know that you have worth today? You were made in the image of God. You want to know you are just important in the eyes of God as every other person on this planet? It is true because you were made in the image of God. And in part of that image, he put this desire for justice in us that wrongs would be made right one day. And because God is just and he cares about justice, that nature is imparted to us and we care about it too. See, one day, those scales that are unbalanced will be balanced. And one day, the wrongs of this world will be made right. And one day, uh, righteousness and justice will reign forevermore. Sadly, most people don't realize that God is waiting and showing kindness and, he, and he's longing for them to act. And they don't act and they don't repent and they don't return to God because it's before it's too late. They don't understand that that's what God's doing. Now, I want you to understand the context of where this is written. It's interesting that God put this teaching to the book, in the book of Romans to the people of Rome. So it was a letter written to the, the believers in the, in the city of Rome. And in that day, Rome was the city. It was the, the pinnacle of civility. It was the pinnacle of, of, of culture. It was the pinnacle of power. They ruled the world with an iron fence, fist Were the Romans, yet it was also the place of moral debauchery and failure. It was a wicked, wicked place. And he's writing to the believers in Rome. And he's saying, listen, the people that you think need judgment, the people all around you, the pagans who don't fear God and live their life in in, in crazy, uh, uh, dishonest uh, rebellion against me, those people that you think are deserving of judgment, I am waiting for them in kindness to turn back to me. Even them. You know what? I think God, I believe God is still waiting today He's still waiting because he wants to extend his mercy to the people you and I think need judgment. The people you and I in our hearts say, God, you get them. God, you, you judge them. God, you go after them. God, you, you make them pay. Those are the very people that God is waiting for his judgment to come because he wants them not to face his judgment. He wants them to face his mercy and his forgiveness and to be clean in Jesus Christ. He's still waiting today. That's a pretty sobering thought that we want instant justice for other people, yet we want God to extend his grace to us every day. That's convicting, isn't it? What's worse is that we judge others for the very same things that we do ourselves. Jesus said that in Matthew 7. Romans 2 said that already. That we do the very things that we want to condemn others for, we do ourselves. There's a term for that, and it's called hypocrisy. So not only does our need for justice necessitate an afterlife. Here's what I want you to hear. Our hypocrisy necessitates a hereafter without God's intervention in our life. Since justice one day will be served, and since we're all skewed in our sense of justice, and our judgments are out of whack, we are all in need of God's help. When the judgment comes. Some people are going to react angry to that. Who is God to judge me? Why does he have the moral authority to judge my life? Let me ask you something. If you think that, why? Why? Do we feel empowered to judge every single person that wrongs us in the slightest bit, yet call foul when God decides in his justice and based on truth that he chooses to judge us in that truth? He has every right. He has every right. See, every time we sin, we hurt someone God loves. Sin brings pain. Pain. And the justice that you want for the pain others have caused you, and every, and every way that you want to judge them, God says, I will then judge you according to that same measure. Look at what verse 5 says here in Romans 2. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourselves for the day of God's wrath. When his righteous judgment will be revealed, God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self seeking, who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. God says there's two paths. What's coming after this, there are two paths that you're on that will determine what happens after this. The first path is the path you're already on. It's the path you're born into. It's the path each person comes into this world walking down. And if you want to just stay on that path, you 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 can just do nothing and you'll remain on the path. And in this path, we judge other people. In this path, we act as hypocrites, judging them for the same things we do. And on this path, we refuse the help of God, and we don't allow him to intervene in that path. And that path leads to a place where you will pay for what you've done. That path will lead to a place where God judges you based on your life. And you will face his wrath. Wrath is his anger at sin. When when someone harms our kid, we feel angry. And God says, listen, when you've harmed my other kids, I'm angry at that. And something has to be paid for. He says, this will take place, verse 16. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. He said, there's going to come a day where everything gets laid on the table and there isn't going to be getting away with something. And the people that should be in jail that aren't in jail, uh, they're not going to to escape the judgment of God. And there's going to be nothing that you haven't thought or done that isn't laid before a holy God and be measured against his moral perfection. It's all going to be on the table. And it'll be judged. doesn't sound like a good path. Doesn't sound like a path God wants any person in this room on. But there is another path. And this other path. Is where we turn from God. We're walking on the same path that others are on, but we recognize that we need God to intervene in our life, and we turn to God admitting that there's something in us that is broken that wants to judge others and yet ignore the justice in our own lives, and we turn to God and admit that he's right and that we're wrong, that we do the very same things we condemn in others and that we're wrong and he's right, and that we need his help. His intervention. And we recognize that Jesus Christ came to intervene when we were on the path that was leading to judgment and destruction and we turn to Jesus Christ as the only remedy for the sin that you and I have borne that he went to a cruelty for you. I'll be judged and face God's wrath instead of you if you turn to me and by faith place your trust in me. He said, you can get off that path if you turn to me by faith. You know, I was talking with a young man this week. I'd never met him before, and uh, God arranged this meeting, I believe, and, and just only talked to him for five or ten minutes. But right into that conversation, we started talking about faith and the things of God. And he said, yeah, I believe God exists. I, I certainly do, but, but I'm not sure there's a real heaven or hell, and, and I'm not sure about Jesus that he really is God's answer to, for, the, for the sin of humanity. I, I've never made that decision to follow Jesus Christ. And I brought up this argument. I said, do you think this world is just? He said, no, definitely not. I said, do you think God's good with that? I mean, he fails to be loving God and and a kind father and a just God and a holy God and the way we want God to be and the way we need God to be. If he really is God, then really is he going to allow all this injustice to go unpunished? He said, man, I don't know. I said the only way he makes that wrong right is making a real place called heaven and a real place called hell. See, the good news that Jesus died for your sins only makes sense in light of the bad news that hell is coming for those who do not choose Christ, that those who choose to be judged to God according to the evidence of their own lives, that God would be right to judge sin, that God is right to judge evil, that God is right to judge that which hurts others, that God is right to, to judge that which denies him, that God is right to judge that which indulges ourselves, that God is right to judge us. And that, every, that that day is coming. When we know that day's coming, then the sacrifice of Jesus Christ makes sense. That he came to rescue me from that judgment that I would not have to pay for those sins. See, those who have had their sins paid for by Christ, God looks at your credentials. He looks at all of your acts and he sees you are guilty and condemned and worthy of judgment and worthy of an eternity in hell. But there is a stamp stamped over all those works that says forgiven by Jesus Christ. And your passport into heaven isn't based on your works. It's based on the stamp that God has approved you through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and being found in his name that you may enter into a relationship with God and in eternity forever with him. Then there's those. Who don't have Christ. And when that day comes, you'll be put in a line. And you'll be marched towards the front. And when you reach the front, your life will be weighed against the moral perfection of God. And you'll be judged. And everything you've ever complained about, yelled about, were offended over, rolled your eyes at, Thought hateful things about God will judge you because whatever measure you judge someone else, He says I'm going to measure you. And on top of that, there's my moral law that I've explained in my Word, and you'll be judged against that law, and you will be found guilty in all accounts. And everyone in this line is rejected, and they're ushered out of God's presence into a place void of good. A place void of light, a place void of love, a place void of grace, a place void of kindness, a place void of of anything pleasant, a place void of God himself. And that place is called hell. And next week, we're going to get a good look at what that place looks like. We're going to spend a whole Sunday looking at what is hell really like. Suffice it to say that you don't want to be there. And you can come back next week and you can hear all about it. Or if you know today you're standing in the wrong judgment today and enter into the line of forgiveness and love and acceptance by a God who laid down his life so that you could be forgiven and you could know him. That can happen today. You do that by admitting that God is right to judge you for your sin. But you're willing to turn your life over to him Turn your sin over to him. Turn your future over to him. Turn your eternity over to Jesus Christ. That you would put your faith in him. That he would rescue you from the fate of hell. Listen, this morning, we're gonna just enter into a time of prayer. I'm gonna ask the lights will go down and and that we'll uh, close our eyes, bow our heads. Because this is really important stuff. I mean, you stub your toe and somebody says, watch out, watch where you're going. You can recover from that. But what we're saying today is there's gonna be a day that it is too late to make a decision to change lines. And the warning I have to give you today is to watch where you're going. Don't think you can just stay in the line in your own righteousness, without bending the knee to Jesus Christ, without acknowledging you need his forgiveness, without acknowledging that his death on the cross needs to pay for your sins in full. So that's the choice before you this morning. If you've never surrendered your life to Christ and asked him to forgive you of your sins, I got some great news today. He loves to do that. He longs that to do that for you. He isn't waiting on you to clean up your life. He isn't waiting on you to figure it all out. He isn't waiting on you to understand all the theo- theological depths of the scriptures. He says, you come to me broken and in need of forgiveness, and I'll answer that call today. So let me ask you, are you ready to change lines? and invite Jesus Christ into your life. If that's you this morning, you call out on the name above all names, the only name that can save you from your sin, the only name that can save you from the judgment of God, and it's Jesus Christ. If that's your decision this morning, you just raise your hand up. Nobody's looking. You say, today, Jesus, I'm gonna invite you into my life, and I'm gonna ask you right now, say, Jesus, I need your forgiveness today. You tell them that. Will you forgive me of my sins? Jesus, I want you to lead my life. I believe your payment on the cross is sufficient. I'm ready to follow you. I place my trust in you today. Man, if you made that decision, we've got to rejoice. We've got to know if you'll... Fill it out in your connection card, or tell somebody you came with, or or one of our pastors, or stop by the next step table. You let somebody know today. Today, I invited Jesus in. But I also want to speak to the believers in the room today. This compulsion we have to judge others. Maybe today you've been reminded of God's patience, kindness, forbearance, and gentleness towards you. And if you've got somebody in your life you're harboring bitterness against, you want God's judgment in their life, you wanna see God to give them what's coming to them, God says, there's a better way. And says, I want you to remember how patient I've been with you. There was a time in your life that you didn't know my forgiveness and you weren't accepted and you were in the wrong line and you were screwing up. And I was patient with you. And just thank God for the kindness he's shown you. And what God would say to that person that's hurt you, offended you, that you want judgment against, is instead of asking God for judgment, you need to start praying and asking God to meet him with his mercy. God, I'm no longer going to to harbor bitterness against that person. I'm no longer gonna want the worst for that person. I'm no longer gonna cheer against that person. But instead, I'm gonna begin to pray that you would invade the life of that person and that your mercy and your kindness would win. And God, that they would recognize they need you and their hearts would be turned to you and your kindness would overwhelm them and they'd be made new in you. And I let go of my judgment against them today. if that's you, praise God. God says it's my business to repay. I'm waiting so I can show them patience and love. And Father, finally, I'll just pray that for those of us in this room that know people, that need to understand that the reality of eternity is coming. God, make us bold and brave. Break our hearts that they need to know that God who has so loved us and be kind to us They need to know that same kindness. Make us bold and brave to share your good news with them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.